so we did that Sonny Ono tease a few weeks ago, and we have not seen him since. What was the tease? We saw him on that one like WWE like Treasures show. Oh on yeah. And we waited for him to turn back oh, up yeah. to tell the story, and then he just hasn't shown back up. Yeah, we haven't watched that in a while either. Welcome to the Butts and Seeds podcast, episode number 25. Ooh! We're going to go week by week through <laughs> the slow but inevitable downfall of WCW, or as Emily knows it, the stuff before the invasion. <laughs> it does feel slow right now. It feels like extra slow right now. A little bit. <laughs> I'm Nick, alongside Emily. I'm alive and here. And this is the last episode we're doing before we are sponsoring the Ad Terror Podcast. Hey. So if you are a listener there and that's how you found us, welcome. Hey, 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 hey. A lot of the format is going to be similar. However, we do not have grunts of the night. And we don't have fun accents. Well, to some people we do. I don't think the American accent's fun. I don't know. I went over to Ireland and they love my accent. <laughs> okay, we get it. You got flirted with a lot. Jeez. A little more, but uh, all right. <laughs> We're not even from like a fun part of America. We're not from like the South. We have a deep Southern accent or like New York or Boston. We're from like the Mid-Atlantic. There's no accent here. So we're going to be featured on After Your Podcast, and we got OSW to retweet us. So we got a, and then I met Brian Zane this past weekend. So damn, we are making waves, <laughs> very small waves. You know, it's wave waves in like in like the kiddie pool, yeah. or like when you go to Disney and there's the wave pool, but you're still in like the shallow end, so you're really not getting anything. We're making lazy river waves. I like that because you can usually bring a drink in the lazy river. Ooh, that's us. So. This episode number 25 is going to be all about WCW Spring Stampede. Can I get a yeehaw? Live from Tacoma, Washington of all fucking places. I did want to bring up that is the most random place to do Spring Stampede. Yeah. Because like in the in the opening package for this, they do like a quick video package. And the very last image of it is a cow. And it's all Western themed. This is... Why aren't we in like Texas or Oklahoma or... Kentucky. I had the same thought. And every time we saw the like cow skull and all that, I thought of our new favorite subtitle in a movie ever. Oh, yeah. We were watching um, Jurassic Park a few weeks ago. Yes. With the subtitles on. And it was the scene where they're feeding the raptors and they're just going to like, drop a cow in. And the subtitles just had the line, moose in fear. And we thought it was the greatest thing ever. So the show happened on April 11th, 1999. Weird stage presentation of they went all out with the new Nitro set, and then they really went minimal on this. Yeah, the, the set was unnoticeable. Unremarkable. Yeah. However, it's time for our uh, monthly in terms of the programming game of what's the buy rate? Ah. So last month's pay-per-view was uncensored, and that just sounds wrong, but I guess it was. Uh, that was 325,000 buys. Last year, Spring Stampede did 275. What did this year's do? I want to say 300. Ooh. Correct answer was 255. Damn. I was thinking in the twos, but I don't know. I was giving them the benefit of the doubt. And continuing our trend, there will never be a buy rate higher than this. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It's a very slow decline, but it's very obvious to find. We get close uh, in August, but we don't... What's in August? Road Wild. Okay. So the show starts with a opening video package. Not really anything musically interesting, but 
the package focuses on the four-way match, which is DDP versus Ric Flair versus Hulk Hogan versus Sting for the world title with Macho Man Randy Savage as the special guest ref. I'm sure he'll stay unbiased. Notice they never actually referred to him as a guest ref. They're like, they he's not? he is the ref. Oh, okay. Well, they, they definitely mentioned him as the referee. Like, they didn't say ghost ref, but he's yeah. the referee. And they also focus on Goldberg versus Nash, which I think is the same package we saw on Nitro. Yes. The one that they had way too early. Yeah, so when they started doing video packages for, for matches on this pay-per-view, I was like, oh, that's going to be in like three or four matches. And no, it would be the next match. Well, that's the way it should be. Well, yes, but well, it's not mi- how it's minus been. Minus these. We don't open It's not how it's been, though. But they did close out that opening montage with a beautiful shot of a cow. And it made me laugh. The music was so generic, we both were like, did they dub over something? But I don't know. We go to the arena, and we're back to a three-man booth. We got Tony Schiavone, Bobby Heenan, and Mike Tanay on commentary. And they kind of chat through some of the matches, not really adding anything of note. No. They were really just more annoying than useful. Yeah, they were not great this show. No. Our opening contest is Blitzkrieg versus Juventud Guerrera. The winner of this match will face the Cruiserweight Champion on Nitro in a title match. I did, Can we talk about the name Blitzkrieg for a masked luchador wrestler? If you want. Blitzkrieg is the German term for... I don't want to get the fact wrong. But it has to do with like the war. Like World War II and dropping bombs. And particularly in Germany. Blitzkrieg is a German word. This man is Mexican. And he's in a very traditional Mexican wrestling outfit. Why Blitzkrieg? Well, here's the thing. It's a hell of a bop. <laughs> it is. You're absolutely right. But it was just it was just a very odd choice of name to me. I would like to know why. So commentary mentions, as I said, that the winner of this match will go on to face the Cruiserweight Champion. And they're like, oh, as Dave Penzer said. And it's like, we can't fucking hear him. We oh, never well, can hear yeah. him. That's a given at this point. We cannot hear the ring announcer. However, the fact that the winner gets title shot felt a little obvious in who was going to win, considering oh we have God. not seen Blitzkrieg like on any Ever. of the program <laughs> we've been watching. Apparently, this is not his first match, though. No, he's been here for like two months, they were saying. I'm okay. guessing he's mainly House been on shows, like Thunder and, Thunder and Saturday Night. Shows that we are not watching. Match starts. It starts a bit more technical here than High Flying, which I thought was kind of interesting. And commentary talks a little bit about how how has been unmasked for about a year now. I did not know that he was masked. I couldn't tell you what he looked like. I, I, I googled it and I went, yeah, it's a little bit of a, just a generic looking mask. Yeah. I don't want to say they were right to unmask him, but I guess it's, it's also a thing of, I know Hoovy as unmasked. I never really have seen right. him as a masked wrestler. Right. It, it's the opposite effect of, we know Rey Mysterio as a masked wrestler, so recognizing him without his mask is still kind of weird. Well, that one's also weird because he went back to it later. Right. We get a back handspring elbow from Blitzkrieg that actually looked all right. I know we've talked about that previously. I think we had like Lance Storm mm-hmm. at Barely Legal. It's but a good move. It's an interesting move. It's really easy to look kind of weak. Yeah. You, have to, you looks, have to time it and space it properly. It looks like you have skill. It looks like you have accuracy and you are talented. I think I screwed myself in, in my notes because I kept referring to Blitzkrieg as BK and I keep wanting to say Burger King. <laughs> the BK Lounge. So a bit into the match, Hoovy hits a springboard missile dropkick to the head of Blitzkrieg. He then follows it up with an over-the-top rope kind of dive. Hoovy hits a brain buster, but Blitzkrieg kicks out. Blitzkrieg gets out of a Mexican surfboard stretch and goes on offense. Hoovy's on the outside, and Blitzkrieg goes up top to dive on him, but Hoovy just kind of walks away. So Blitzkrieg yeah. gets down, goes to a different turnbuckle, 
and then tries to dive on him, but Hoovy counters it with a dropkick. Yeah. It was a really awkward looking spot. It was strange. I wasn't totally sure what they were going for. But later, Blitzkrieg hits a top rope springboard moonsault to the floor. I was like, Jesus. He can fly a bit, but... Yeah. I need to know more about his character. I mean, he is technically cruiserweight, and cruiserweights tend to fly. Or at least my guys do. Hoovy sets up for something in the corner, and it just all kind of collapses. This match had a hard time with them working up top on the corners, because mm-hmm. there's a couple danger spots. I think he was going for like, like a body scissor kind of deal, oh. and it all just kind of tumbles. Yeah, he just didn't really lock it in, I guess. Blitzkrieg goes for a Phoenix Splash, which gets no reaction, but Hoovy moves. And actually, this is the spot with the body scissors. So this is a oh, different uh, kind of weirdly fucked up spot. It was just a sloppy top, match Yeah, up top in the corner. I mean, again. We then get a very rough looking top rope, like super Hoovy driver. And it was like, it looked impressive, but it looked fucking scary. And I'm like, don't, don't do that. It looked very scary. That's enough to get him the win. And this, well, this is a pretty good match. So I kind of, I had a thought during this match. Sometimes cruiserweight and luchador matches, they can just, they're really impressive. Like what they're doing is good, but it comes off as so choreographed that it's just like not a good match to me. Like this one started out like that. It did get a little bit better and looser as they went, but it really started off choreographed. Yeah, that's a little bit more of just the general Mexican style of kind of lucha libre is that it does come off a little bit more. Lucha libre, I guess is a little, better term. A little bit more like a dance kind of thing. Which and, is fine for a little bit because it's still you're doing impressive moves. And like I would never say that those are not skilled wrestlers. It's just not my taste. And I just I don't particularly like when I can tell like, oh, this is practiced and rehearsed to death. Yeah, I checked the Wrestling Observer star ratings for this later. And it was like, oh, this got four and a quarter. I'm like, I don't yeah, know if I'd give that. it that. I was, I was kind of shocked at that. I mean, like Blizzard did put up like a good match. This wasn't a squash match, I don't think. This wasn't like... No. Oh, Hooventude's just going to get totally put over and, like, fuck Blitzkrieg. It was good. It was just sloppy at points. I don't think I would have given it four and a quarter. It did succeed in its job in, in that it made Hoovy look good. It did, yes. And if I that, feel like he if has that a shot was the goal, If that was the goal, was just to make Hooventude Guerrero look good, success. I also think he's going to win the title on Nitro, I was saying, because I'm like, oh, you probably want to get the Cruiserweight title out of the tag title scene. Yeah, probably. But we'll see that on next episode. Next up, we have two people we saw last episode. By last episode, I mean the ECW episode, even though we would have seen him on Nitro. Yeah, so but one of, them, well, one of them is a little bit more of a given, rather than seeing them both in ECW is a little bit more noteworthy than, oh my god, they were on the Nitro before the pay-per-view. Is it not a given that they'd both be in ECW, too? I feel like that's also kind of a given. Well, if we look at an ECW show from, this, from the week of Spring Stampede, they're not going to be on there. Okay, 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 okay. For better or worse, we do not have a uh, five-minute-long drinking game for Hack. I don't think we should do that anymore. It I never was kind of thinking well. that. It was fun for two tries, but it never ends with either of us feeling great. Yeah, we'll have to set up something else. Maybe either of us. You have you have a well, I'm just watching you chug beer and burp, and I can't drink the beer because I have to talk the whole time. So I would like to have a beer while I'm just watching you chug it, and you're drinking all my Natty Bows. I bought them. I li- I am the one that likes Natty Bo. You don't even like Natty Bo. We got a video package of just clips from the past few weeks, including how they just took Raven out of the storyline. Yeah, he's gone. Well, I mean, he's just doing other things. What's he doing? He's in the tag title. He's in the, ta- he's in the tag oh, team match right. later. He, he does have a match in the show. 
Oh, God, we watched that. It was a good match. It was a good match. I don't remember Raven being in it at all. So Hack comes out with a table and covered in barbed wire. Chastity comes out with a kendo stick. And commentary pervs over Chastity again. With the exception of Mike Tanay. I have to give him credit. You're right. Because he was, like, giving actual, like, answers. Like, oh, you know, she's been doing this and this. And they're like, of course you would have an answer like that. We're talking about how hot she is. We're talking about her tits. In case I didn't say it, by the way, this is Hack versus Bam Bam Bigelow in some sort of hardcore match. It's like a, I would say this is more of a weapons match than a it's, hardcore match. It's all degree. To, what's the difference between a no holds barred match and a hardcore match? Rules wise. Rules wise, nothing. But weapons matches, I see as like more along the lines of what happened here, where Chastity comes down with this big canvas laundry basket of weapons, like chairs and trash cans and she dumps it all into the ring and it's just full of weapons yeah i don't know why that's what differentiates it, it, it to me. i mean yeah rules wise they're all within different degrees other yeah it's also one of those things like technically what's the difference between a ladder match and a tlc match yeah i mean six and one half dozen the other like it's the same thing but for some reason in my head i can see a hardcore match differently than i can see a weapons match i don't know it just it makes sense to me Bam Bam comes out with a laundry cart full of weapons, and match starts when Hack comes up to meet him, and they start brawling on the stage. This is where Chassie takes the cart and just starts tossing all of the weapons inside the ring. Right. And we're talking everything. We're talking trash cans, cookie sheets, chairs. A little too much everything. It was so much. Hack and Bam Bam brawl over to a stagecoach, which is part of the set, (laughs) and apparently Hack has hidden a table under the stagecoach. Under the hay of the stagecoach. So he sets it up and lays Bam Bam across it and then hits a swanton bomb off the top of the stagecoach. The stagecoach looked wobbly. Yeah. It did not look safe or secure at all. It looked like they built it to just be a visual thing and then Hack saw it earlier in the day and went, I'm going to jump off that. I just like the visual of, you know, the stagehands for this first spring stampede build the set and they have all the hay laid out and it all looks great and then like little sneaky hack comes out like i'm gonna hide a table i can just like see him as like a cartoon villain just like sneaking out and putting a table under it yeah the issue with that is i don't think anything about hack is subtle oh no but i see him as like a very stupid cartoon villain so they start brawling back towards the ring and bam bam breaks a crutch over hack's back a flimsy ass crutch they get in the ring and start using just the, the mass amount of weapons. Around this point, Tony Schiavone starts shitting on, on the trash can as a weapon. Oh, yeah. You it's were like, really offended by this. Yeah. It's like, oh, you know, it doesn't hurt that much. It just makes a good sound. It's like, fuck you, Tony. <laughs> it's like, oh, sorry. This weapon's kind of safe for the wrestlers to use. Let me shit on it. That way they use the dangerous stuff. Right. Or on in future matches, they're going to be like bringing out trash cans and everyone's going to think of them as little wimps. Well, Bam Bam then uses it as a weapon and a headshot attack and Mike and Bobby both give Tony shit of like, oh yeah, I bet that felt great. That's, <laughs> that's just the sound. <laughs> that was good. They keep shitting on that and I'm like, good. Like, put over the match. Why are you, you know? Yeah, totally. The, the one weapon that I thought was real strange, they had a salad bowl. Yes. A plastic, like, clear salad bowl. Yes, because Bam Bam puts it on Hack's head and then just, like, punches the bowl. Why? It's a very weird spot. And it's not like... Salad bowls are not, like, 
small in diameter and deep. So you can't like hide his head in the salad bowl. It's a wide, shallow bowl. Well, I thought it was going to be a thing like, like it was made of sugar glass and they cool. like smashed it that over. That would have been cool. Instead, I just put it on it and they like, punched it. <laughs> like, oh. Yeah, it was nothing. It was stupid. Although we did get the joke from, I think it was Tony that was like, what kind of salad goes in that bowl? A honeymoon salad. To which I looked up what a honeymoon salad was. Honeymoon salad. Lettuce alone. No dressing. But um bum It's funny, Nick. Laugh at it. There's a weird spot where I think Hack tries like a DDT, and it, but both men just kind of fall. And it's like, all right, um, reset. What do we do? Oh, yeah. Hack drop kicks a ladder into Bam Bam Bigelow and then, and then lays it across him to hit a swanton bomb. He then lays out the ladder and, and hits a bulldog on Bam Bam onto the ladder. Hack then goes for another two tables and a safety rail. I say another two tables because he had previously set up one and he wanted to have it laying across from the ring apron to the guardrail. And apparently it fell at one point. So Chassis has to run over and like resets it up real quick. Yeah. And there's just a weird spot of Hack climbing a ladder to get tossed over the ropes through that table. Yeah. Which is, we both asked, why did you even climb the ladder? So the question that I had was, he set up the ladder in the ring. Bam Bam Bigelow is on the the ground of the ring. He's not far from the ladder. So it's not like he's climbing. Like, there's there's no reason for Hack to be on the ladder to the point of, like, he could not even feasibly jump off that ladder and do, like, a frog, a splash or anything on him. He's too close. He's, like, right next to the ladder and then right next to the apron. Like, right next to the edge of the ring. So the only reason to jump out that ladder would be to go through that table. There is nothing else he could have done. Oh, you could dive off and hit Bam Bam. No, no, no. Bam Bam was too close by. He was I, I right know. next sort to the ladder. Sort of axe handle. It was like, no, it was, it was ladder, Bam Bam, ring apron. Listen, like it was we, we right agree. Next to we each agree. Other. It was a contrived spot. But it, it didn't make any sense even like remotely physically. So Hack goes through the table and Bam Bam then sets up the ladder and the safety railing in two of the corners. He hip tosses Hack onto the ladder. We then get a weird spot of Hack gets the advantage and he moves the safety railing to like middle of like the ropes on the middle rope. And he goes for like a diving leg drop onto Bam Bam who's laying on the rail. But Bam Bam moves so Hack just kind of... Lands on one leg, and then his other leg kind of lands on the safety rail. It was another very contrived spot that it, didn't it make was, a lot of sense. So Hack got on the top rope of the same side that he put the guardrail on. Would it made sense for him to springboard off like the, the side to the right of it? Yeah. He went up top and then kind of dove off the top rope from the corner. So it just kind of looked weird. But he misses, and then we get, I think, another... Weird kind of botch spot of I can't tell this was Bam botched. Bam picks up the railing and it's like holding it over Hack and it's like I'm gonna fucking smash your head with this. He holds it a little too long though. Yeah, exactly. And then Chastity kind of slowly comes in with a fire extinguisher, which was set up on Nitro, and she can't get it to fire. And I don't know if she's supposed to. I feel like she was supposed I think to. She was supposed to. So she kind of falls and then he fires this fire extinguisher at her. Yeah, so Bam like drops the safety guard and he shoots it right up her butt, like in her butt. With Bam Bam distracted, Hack hits a white Russian leg sweep. So actually, I think that's in the category of it was supposed to distract him. I can't tell. I think part of that was botched, but I, I don't know which part. 
But the white Russian leg sweep is onto the railing, but Bam Bam gets up, and they have a spot in the corner, continuing our theme tonight of scary mm. top rope moves. Bam Bam hits a Greetings from Asbury Park, which is basically a pile driver, from the top rope, through a table. Yeah, that was scary. I did not like that at all. And he gets the win. I did not like that one bit, no sir. This was a mess of a match. Yeah, no. it had some good stuff in it, but the the ring, yikes. but the ring being covered in weapons hurts the match, and they don't sell, so it doesn't make any of the moves look super damaging because they just immediately get back up. Right, like you would think that those tables are made of cardboard, like they don't hurt, like nothing is affecting these guys. Like we know that Bam Bam and Hack are like hardcore guys like hack comes out and hits himself with the kendo stick a million times till he bleeds but he bleeds you still get a sell out of it you know yeah it was this was just a a big old yikes for me this was a yikes out of 10 i know they eventually bring it in but i feel like you could have brought in like a hardcore title around this time and had this been for that there's enough people on the roster that i think would be a contender for that well one of them is in our next match which is mikey whipwreck versus scotty riggs to which i said who yeah, Scotty Riggs is apparently, I guess, debuting a new gimmick here, it sounded like. Uh, he comes out with a mirror that says, better looking each day on the back of it. And his whole gimmick seems to be that he's just a combination of Rick Rude and Rick Martell. Yeah, I don't remember who Rick Martell is, but it, yes. Rick his whole Rude. thing was that he, he was a model, and he was obsessed with his okay. own looks. See, I kind of saw him as almost coming in as the replacement for Chris Jericho, because Chris Jericho was very into his looks yeah not like that i no, but i mean you overcorrect and you even out to where you were i don't know i mean if you knew more about rude and martel you'd see that this is blatantly ripped from them i mean literally i'm pretty sure martel came out with with a mirror Mm -hmm. as well and and skyrix's taunt is the rick rude taunt it's like dude Mm -hmm. you got to get something near your own here there's more love in this room than the day narcissus discovered himself Relatedly to that, did you know that there was a wrestler who used to go by the ring name Narcissus? Really? He is in WCW right now. Really? Oh no, who is it? Lex Luger. Ew, I can see that though. They then changed it to the Narcissus Lex Luger and within like four months... They dropped Narcissist? Well, within four months they turned him babyface and had him slam Yokozuna on top <laughs> of the, on the USS Intrepid, which we watched. I think we've watched, we've watched that twice. No, we've seen that twice. We watched it once, and then we watched the OSW episode for it. No, I'm pretty sure we watched that match twice. I'm like well, 99.9% I'm, sure we have watched that match twice. It's not a match. It's just a body slam challenge. Whatever. But there's the whole other po- portion of it, which I would never want to watch more than once. So that's why I don't think we have. I'm pretty sure we have. We then get Mikey Whipwreck coming out. It's time for a very difficult game of... So, Mikey Whipwreck comes out in... I think we're just basically doing this off his shirt more, more than the rest of his gear. <laughs> but his shirt has a dragon on it, which we did not limit ourselves to dragon type. But it's red, black, yellow, white, and then, like, bits of green, bits of, like, purple, bits of every color. But the main things are the red, black, and yellow with a bit of white. So, it's like, okay, do what you can with that and we'll make it work. Right. I like Mikey Whipwreck's whole gear idea because it just looks like his gear is whatever he bought at the gas station, wherever the last stop was on the way to the ring. Emily, who is that Pokemon? He is Venipede. 
Venipede. I so I'm kind of breaking my own rule of like I don't know this Pokemon because I tend to go for like Gen One, Gen Two. You know, the original 150, a little bit stretched, but this is the only one that I could find that really matched it. Yeah, um, yeah, it has the the colors. It's not the it's not best. perfect. I mean, we we both kind of agreed there is not a perfect match for this. But it's got the colors. It's got a little bit of yellow. It's got the green on its butt. Like Yeah, almost a little too much green, I almost no, want to say. No, I disagree. Well, yeah, you picked it. <laughs> the green is really prominent on the back of the shirt. So I had two answers. One of them, and I just ignored the green for this, and I included the purple. I went Ariados, the evolved form of Spinarak. That is one that I also looked at, too. And then one that we both kind of agreed on, but we both know so little about it, is... Uh, Tapu Bulu, which is one of the spirits of Sun and Moon. Yeah, and that's why I kind of wanted to not do that, because what the fuck is Tapu Bulu? Like, it works, but come on. It actually works really well the more I'm looking at it. It does, but there should be a cap on, do we have any idea who this Pokemon is? Yeah, I caught him in Sun and Moon. Could you have pulled this name out of your butt if you were not looking on the Pokemon Wikipedia? Totally. No, liar. Prove me wrong. What is your most recent tab open on your phone right now? Well, I wanted to look at the color again. Liar. I mean, listen, I know I know Ariados, but I sometimes I like double check in the colors. You're gonna tell me it's not Bulbapedia right now? No, it's just Google. <laughs> I think Ariados is a good mid ground that we can both agree on. Yeah. Yeah. It's this episode's ghastly. Oh, like okay. <laughs> so this is apparently an unscheduled match, which I thought no shit. I haven't seen Scotty Riggs on television since we started doing this show. Right. And this is apparently only Mikey Whipwreck's third match in WCW. His first one, I guess, being last month on pay-per-view. And then the second one was, like, on Thunder the past week. Which is, like, shocking. Yeah, because he did really well. He wasn't bad at all. Surprised they're not using him more. But then it's also Kevin Nash running the show. So I shouldn't be surprised by anything. The only really notable spot I have for this match is Whipwreck gets shoulder-blocked off the apron into the guardrail. And he just flies straight back. Just lands back and like neck first yeah. into the guardrail. Like it, it, it looked like something Mick Foley would do. The fact that him and Foley were tag champions in ECW, yeah, that that I bet that's something that you're you you're trying that. to you either learned it or like just an instinct you picked up from Foley. Maybe. And I don't know whether this match is actually boring or I'm just uninvested, but I got nothing for this. Oh, match. I was so bored. Uh, Scotty Riggs wins with a flying forearm. Which was shocking. And by flying, just like, you know, like a running Yeah, well, there forearm. was no flying. There was no flying. And, yeah, he gets the win here. And I'm like, man, they've already given up on Maggie Whipwreck. Mm, like, which is kind of sad. Yeah, I was hoping for things for him, but... I can't say I'm totally surprised. It feels like a very WCW move to sign somebody and then do nothing with them. Yeah. It's, it's very much the NXT guys getting called up to the main roster in 2020 and 2021. Yeah, true. Of like, we have them. Now what? They were doing so well at NXT, we're going to bring them up to the main roster. And nothing. Unless you're Rhea Ripley. And there's a couple other exceptions as well, but... Few. Yeah, it's it's more often than not, it's like, oh, that didn't go like, great. Like, every once in a while, I tell Nick, like, I miss Finn Balor. I want him to come to the main roster. And he always tells me, no, he needs to stay at NXT. He's doing great work at NXT. Keep him there. He's not dropping out to Kane in 90 seconds. Mm. So our fourth match of the evening is Conan versus Disco Inferno. We get a little promo package for this one. 
So Conan comes out to what I'm pretty sure is a new theme, but I feel like we say that each week. <laughs> yeah, really. And this one is even weirder because I can barely hear commentary or Conan at the start of his promo, which made it seem kind of dubbed over. So uh, this might actually be something different. I don't know. You think he came out to different music? I'm wondering if just something got copywritten or something, you know, it sampled something it wasn't allowed Maybe. to or... Interesting. Because, I mean, considering Conan has multiple music videos, it wouldn't shock me if he's coming out to different songs each week. Wait, you're telling me Conan has music videos? Does Disco know? Well, Disco comes out in a <laughs> 2000 Trish Stratus cosplay before she was there. Oh, my God. Ro- rocking a shiny cowboy hat and a shiny jacket. Oh, yeah, they match. We did get the Disco Ball o- overlay for a little bit. Yeah. So a few weeks ago, in an eight-man tag match, we talked about La Cucaracha, and it's like, oh, you know, we'll see who that is eventually. (laughs) Commentary speculates that La Cucaracha is is Disco Inferno, and by speculates, apparently he was unmasked on Saturday night. As Disco Inferno. Yeah. Like, there's not speculation. Because, like, we were talking about it while they were talking, like, oh, do we need to go back and, like, watch that match? Like, what makes them think that it was Disco? And then they're like, oh, yeah, well, when he was unmasked. I'm like, well, no shit, it's Disco Inferno. And the next thing that happens, you lost your mind at when we were watching it. Because Conan has the mic and he runs down Disco Inferno's blue camouflage pants. Oh, my God. Emily, what is Conan wearing at this time? Camo pants! They're both wearing camouflage pants! You also laughed at me basically knowing the gist of... Conan's promo. Oh yeah, as Conan was doing his entrance, Nick just kind of like ran through Conan's like intro promo, and it was beat for beat for beat on point. <laughs> the fucking the camel pants, like <laughs> not the only camel pants on the show either. No, what was going on in 1999 when everybody was wearing camo? Why? And it would be several years later until you just couldn't see John Cena. He didn't even need the camo. <laughs> he didn't even need the camo. <laughs> Disco cheap shots him after being called a strawberry. What an insult. Next time we have a fight, Nick, I'm going to call you a strawberry. Conan has a band-aid on, I guess, to cover up stitches, and it like starts flopping around pretty early on, so he just <laughs> yeah. rips it off. But in the match, Disco kicks Conan, does a little dance, and then hits a running neckbreaker. And I don't have a ton of notes for this one either, but this one, it was a pretty standard match. I mean, these both these guys can work, so it... I wasn't, I just wasn't into it. I, I've seen this match. Yeah. And I've never been into it. Yeah, and we didn't get a great amount of story going to this one either, but at least we got a little bit. Commentary did have a funny line in this. I can't remember which one of them said it because I can't discern their voices. But someone said, it's the 90s. You got a showboat. What does that mean? It wasn't Bobby because they were saying it to him. It, because they, they were saying, like, he should cover him here. Like, why is he, like, dancing and all that? It's, it's like, the 90s. You got a showboat. What? What does the 90s have to do with showboating? Don't be a square. <laughs> And it's late 90s, too. It's not like mid-night. Like, it's not like 1994, 95, like heat of 90s. Like, it's 99. What? Disco misses a Brett's Rope elbow drop, and then Conan hits his rolling clothesline. He then hits a cradle DDT, but Disco kicks out. Disco hits a swinging neckbreaker, and this is where we noted that Conan just looks fucking gassed. Oh, my God, This happens yeah. to him a bit during his matches. His cardio is not up to He's par. not meant for long matches. He needs a lot of rest holds. He also has an odd body type for his wrestling style. True. He's very, like, built and stocky. Yeah, and I feel like he wants to, to be a high flyer. I think he wants to be a high flyer. He does, yeah. 
he's trying to be like quick and flippy and on his feet, but he's he's got the body for like a power guy. So Conan counters a last dance, which is Disco's version of the stunner. Last dance. And then hits one of his own and gets the win. Man. I cared a bit more than the last one, but we barely saw much of this feud, and it was over, like, music videos. And... Oh, my God, yeah. Like, we didn't see much of this feud, but it also feels like it's been stretched for so long. Over music videos. Yeah. Like, when was the original, like, music video thing? I think some of that is just how long it's been taking us to get from Uncensored to here. Maybe. No, I think it was before Uncensored. When they did, when they started the music video feud, I'm pretty sure that was before Uncensored. They, I, you know, I think you're. I think they started it right before Uncensored, but then they they didn't do anything at Uncensored with right. it. Right, it's dumb. I'm guessing this is the end of that feud, though. We'll see. They do love to stretch a feud, so we'll see. I was trying to figure out something got cut here. It doesn't seem like it did because it cuts really quick to the next match, which is the cruiserweight title match of. Rey Mysterio Jr. versus Kidman. The only match that we were kind of looking forward to. Yeah, or looking f- looking toward. I was looking forward to the, the tag match. Yeah. So both these men are the tag team champions, obviously, with each other. And we get a rarity during the entrances for this. Do you remember what it was? No. We actually hear announcer Dave Penzer announce who's coming out. Oh, my God. And it's not just the... In the background, and it's like, oh, okay. The drama of you. It was just so happy to actually hear, like, oh, it's, you know, it's Kidman. It's Rey Mysterio. And, yeah. And I can hear that, like, oh, it's for the Cruiserweight title. I don't have to just guess sometimes. Oh, no, yeah. No, you're right. It's just, you're dramatic. Well, I heard Kidman's, <laughs> and then Rey came out, and I'm like, oh, my God, I can hear his, too. Yeah. And Rey Mysterio came out in matching camo to Conan. Yes. Like, the exact same camo. Cut from the same cloth, probably literally. Match starts off with a handshake, which I know you have issues with handshakes after the match. Do you have an issue with him before the match? No, especially when it's these two, because I know that these two have respect for each other. And this is not like a a feud match necessarily. Okay, because I remember you ranting about how it after the match, it's like it, it, it just comes off bitchy as opposed to respect. I, I No, my argument with it after the match is like, I kind of want them to be mad at each other. I don't want there to be respect after the match. Right. I want them to be. I want there to be like hostility and anger. Aretha Franklin would be ashamed. <laughs> no, I just i I don't want things like fucking John Cena being like, mm, "You got me good there, bud. Good job." Like, no, I want you to be like, "Oh man, I want to fight you again next time." Like, <laughs> you heard it here. You can consult Emily for all of your uh, wrestling promos. <laughs> I'd be a great promo. Kidman vaults to the outside, and we get our usual stuff between these two. Kidman then vaults over the guardrail into a leg drop on Ray. Inside the ring, Ray hits Scissors Kidman to the outside, and then goes for a standing moonsault, but Ray catches him. Both men counter, and then Ray goes for a head scissor, and this is where the match takes a turn, because he kind of catches the stairs with his head slash face on the way down. Yeah, and you can really see in his in his body language how much that hurts. Yeah, like he he full on like while he's down like kicks the stairs like you motherfucker. Mm-hmm. He was like kind of pounding the ground, kicks the stairs, holding his head like he's he hurt himself and he's mad at himself that he hurt himself. Yeah, and it's just obvious. And commentary does use that later as like you know commentary. <laughs> they talk about it a lot. I couldn't tell if Ray got a bit concussed there. 
Because the match feels a little off after that point. It felt like muscle memory. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, like he's done this match enough times that he can just kind of do it without thinking. Yeah. And I know there aren't grades of concussions, but I know they can affect you in different ways. So I think he knocked a bit loopy, but not enough. Like, I think it was kind of coming and going of like, okay, I can do these things. But there were a lot more like rest holds in this match than there usually are in... In a Kidman yeah. Ray match, yeah, there's not usually, and there was a lot less like flippy. There wasn't so much like top rope. It was flip flopping because what follows that is Ray hitting a springboard press back inside, followed by a lion salt, and I'm like, Jericho's body isn't even cold yet. <laughs> Kidman counters a Ray move into a running power bomb, and with a lot of these moves, I just kept being worried about Ray's head because. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it does not really a great way to land from a power bomb. It, you know, you can protect yourself a bit and kind of tuck, but, but your you're head, gonna take it a little. Your head's bit. still gonna hit a bit. And if you're already knocked a little bit, like that, yeah. just sucks. Kidman hits a backbreaker and picks Ray back up for a sidewalk slam. He then hits a spinebuster and then slides Ray to the floor. We then get a, I guess it wasn't scary. It was just like a you fucking idiot spot of. Ray is laying on the floor, and Kidman goes for a running apron shooting star press. Mm. He manages to land the exact same way Ray is laying, which means he missed by 90 degrees. You cannot miss that move by more, because by definition, you're only missing by 89 degrees (laughs) the other way. It's fine. You can do that. He landed, like, parallel. Like, and I'm right like, on top of him. How the fuck did you do that? That was wild. This is, just, this is just not their best match. And I was ready for this to be my match of the night. Just, just Kidman shooting star press. Just strikes again. I know. Back inside, Ray counters a top rope move with a drop kick. Then hits a super springboard bulldog, which is apparently what the, he won the title with. Oh, really? They mentioned it on commentary. I was not listening to commentary. I think I wrote in, in my new, in my notes for this. Commentary, shut the fuck up. They actually made a big point of our commentary because Ray kind of makes a lackadaisical cover and they're like, yeah, he won with that. It's like, I think he got a little cocky there because he won with it because mm-hmm. Kidman kicks out of it at this time. I stopped listening to commentary. I thought Ray was going to go for a powerbomb, but he ends up getting back body dropped. And I think this is where I finally noticed fucking referee Randy Anderson's pinfall counts are just like one, two, three. It's like, dude. Especially with Ray potentially being concussed. It's like, dude, give him like a second. Give him a moment to breathe. I don't think I like Randy Anderson. And this is this is where I feel I feel like it was fair to judge that this match is slower than most of their other ones. Ray hits a triangle somersault plancha to the floor, and then back inside hits a counter face buster as the crowd doesn't seem into this match either. Mm -mm. Kidman follows that up with his sit out pedigree. In the corner, Kidman hits a sunset flip powerbomb, but Ray kicks out. And I think that was especially one that I'm like, oh, on his fucking head. Yeah. Ray hits a super bulldog from from the top rope, but Kidman kicks out. Same for a springboard middle rope guillotine leg drop, which is a lot of words. That was a lot of words. <laughs> Good job. Ray then hits a really sloppy standing moonsault. It's one, another one of those moments where I'm like, you think something's off. In a different way of things being off. Rey Mysterio suddenly decides, you know what? I'm a, I'm a heavyweight. I'm going to hit a powerbomb. <laughs> and wouldn't you guess it, it gets countered into a face buster by Billy what? Kidman. A face buster? He never does those. Kidman goes up top for a shooting star press, but Ray counters it into a top rope Frankensteiner and gets the win. Which, 
the, the pinfall count, we, we both laughed at Randy Anderson's out of position, so he has to, like, dive over them. <laughs> he does, like, a very flaily jump. This was a good match. It wasn't their best. No, it really wasn't. They, they've also set a very high bar. They they were my favorite to watch for a long time. This is not my favorite match. This is this was on par with the rest of the matches we've watched so far. I was to say this or Blitzkrieg and Hoovy. There's there's nothing that stands out from either of those matches. These are all so far C grade matches to me. Okay, and and lower in some instances. Not yet. No, Scotty Riggs and Mike Bibrak wasn't lower. No, I'm giving them all like C, like between a C minus and a C plus, but like C's average it's at least a c plus so we're just gonna keep moving on here because that's what the show is doing there is no backstage nothing it is just match after match after match after match we get the horsemen chris benoit and dean Malenko with arn anderson versus raven and perry satter and they have a video package for this and i laughed during the video package because they were showing something where saturn and raven won a match and it, the clip happened so fast that they didn't bother to swap out Raven's actual entrance music, which has been copyright stricken. Yes. <laughs> so you hear a bit of that come as you are knockoff. And then when Raven comes out, we get the yeah the WWE theme. You also get a clip from Thunder, which really should have been foreshadowing for a lot of this match, which is Chris Benoit missing a diving headbutt and hitting a chair. Yeah, I guess that is foreshadowing in hindsight. Arn Anderson comes out looking trim. He has been hitting the gym, but not on the weights. He's been like on the treadmill. He's slimming up. Yeah, I mean, he's fully retired. I think he might work like one or two kind of bullshit matches, but he's not an active wrestler by any stretch anymore. He's here to hang out and have a good time. I'm I'm actually wondering if he got his uh, like Lloyd's of London insurance policy. Lloyd's of London? Yeah, there was an insurance company that... Wrestlers used to do all their insurance from, and basically when you retired, you would get kind of money back. Would you guess it? The issue that kind of rose from this was that people didn't stay retired. You're telling me that when a wrestler retires, they don't retire, retire? I think my favorite thing was one of the Road Warriors slash Legion of Doom retired, so he only worked tag matches. That's not retiring! (laughs) Yeah, so I'm wondering, because I'm remembering... Arn got, like, beat down backstage, but it was fully, like, off screen. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, I wonder if uh, wonder if there's limitations to that kind of stuff. I don't know. I did note that it was kind of weird hearing Benoit and Malenko come out to the Horseman theme. Because it does seem like they're dropping more and more of the Four Horsemen aspects as we're kind of going along. Yeah. Yeah, they really have. Because the original Four Horsemen were Flair, Arn, and these two, right? Relatively, yes. The original oh, Four okay. Horsemen are like, you know. This iteration was from, those four. From, from when we started. Yeah, oh, okay, Mongo. Don't forget about Mongo. No, I, I definitely forgot Never about mind Mongo. that shit. Here comes Mongo. <laughs> yeah, they never even bothered to replace Mongo. So I think no. that's also a sign there too. Because Arn, you know, wasn't really an active member. He was like kind of the manager. So Hey, his tire Arn did some work. Yeah, but that's kind of the thing with the Horsemen is you you have you can have a manager. He's not part of the Horsemen. Yeah, Raven and Saturn come out. Saturn comes out in his chainmail kind of attire, takes it off, and then takes off his entrance girdle, but still is wrestling in like the skirt, the mud flaps, the mud flaps, as commentary yeah. calls them. It's it's the skirt equivalent of uh, potentially niche reference 
Shawn Michaels doing DX shirts where he would just cut the sides. Of, I never understood that. It would just but be yes. a tank top and cutting the sides, so it's just like like flaps. Boys in my high school would do that, like football on like the football team. That was a thing that they would do. I just don't understand why wouldn't you just not take the shirt off? Have you ever tried running in that? It just that turns sounds, into a cape. Yeah, that's terrible. That sounds awful. Just take the shirt off. We could a fairly large horseman suck chance to start. Yeah, I didn't know that they were disliked. I mean, they are heels. I would say that Raven's a heel, but I I can't I can't gauge the heels and faces. I can't. I, I think Raven's day off was supposed to be a face turn. I'm getting better. Really, that's stupid. I'm getting better at heels and faces with like WWE with what we're watching through. Like I can gauge that more here. I feel like people flip flop so much, or it's heel versus heel, or or everyone's a tweener. Everyone's a tweener, exactly. Like I can't, I can't keep it straight. I, I don't really feel bad for that either. I did know that you have three quarters of the radicals in this match. Match starts pretty hot. We get an awkward spot though of Raven hitting a like front suplex drop and Saturn. I think it's meant to splash once he's already down, but just dives a little early, so it kind of comes off. Yeah, like an imperfect landing there. On commentary, Bobby Heenan has a nice little couple lines of putting over Raven as somebody who won't quit. He's like, "Look, I don't know about the three of these other guys, but like, you're gonna have to knock him out. He's not gonna like tap out to any kind of move." No, and that's absolutely right. Like, I'm trying. I don't know why I forgot about Raven in this match because now that I'm thinking about it, like he really did hold his own and he did well in this match. Yeah. We get an interesting spot that I liked of Raven gets a small package on Benoit and Saturn actually runs into the ring to like turn the ref around and be like, come fucking count this. Yeah. Which I thought was a good like face spot of like, he's not trying to cheat. He's like, look, there's a pin. Like, come count this. True. You can tell from the sounds in this match that they're working a little stiff and it's nice. It's pretty hard hitting. It is, and there are certain points where it's a little too hard-hitting. Well, we also get a unique spot of Saturn draping his skirt over Benoit's head <laughs> like to doing... do a 10-punch spot. That was funny. Just like, put your head entirely in my crotch. Now darkness. <laughs> we get an electric chair drop with a top rope crossbody from the former flock. That's followed up with a drop kick into a German suplex from the horseman. Which was cool. I liked that one. Dean Blanco hits a tiger bomb, turns it into a cloverleaf... But Saturn manages to get to the ropes. Saturn then hits a Death Valley driver, but Benoit breaks up the pin with an audibly stiff diving headbutt. Audibly stiff, to say the least. Yeah, we started getting a little uncomfortable in this match with a couple things, and that was one of them. And this is also where I thought, like, oh, you know, we're in, like, the final sequence. This match is winding down. They then slow things down and just kind of work the matches regular. Because it's here where the heels just kind of work over Perry Saturn for a while, and it just gets real slow. It really does slow down a lot. But it, it does feel like t- towards the end of the match, I mean, maybe they're just getting tired. I don't know. I mean, they at least have interesting offense. Yes, but they it, it, it felt like we were almost done. We again get a hot tag to Raven as he clears house. Saturn then tosses a chair into the ring for some reason. It was very slick the way he did it. And like we had to rewind and be like, who put that chair in? Yeah. Like it was quick and sly. Raven then sets it up and does a drop toe hold on Benoit. And I'm like, DQ? I know this is a spot he does, but I'm like... Is this a DQ match? Like, we literally talked about in the last episode, and at least commentary then was like, Raven's rules. And this was just like, he's letting it go. Yeah. The problem is we only, we just watched ECW, where I was basically like, don't question it. So I forgot about DQ until you were like, 
Shouldn't that be a date cube? We mentioned how uh, certain things made us uncomfortable. I don't know if I've heard a line of commentary that's made me more upset about Chris Benoit. There probably are a couple, but... Um, this is definitely the worst I've ever heard. On commentary, you have to hurt Benoit a lot to hurt his head. I was just like, no. I mean, listen, there's a lot of stuff on, you know, 2000, 2001 WWE yeah. as well that like... Like, he's a remorseless machine, and it's like, ah. Uh, if, if we knew then what we know now, it's just they didn't yeah. know. They didn't know. It was a character. Yeah. Moving on. We'll get to the another one later, but uh, mm. Saturn goes for a top rope dive through a table on the floor with Dean on it, but Arn just pulls Dean out of the way, and Saturn crashes through, which Saturn really should have seen, because Arn was ready to pull Dean off, like, way too early. Yeah. On the inside, Raven, like, holds the chair, but Dean kind of pushes it into his face. Kind of an awkward spot It was there. like a block, almost. Somehow, out of this, Raven hits the even flow DDT. Arn comes in to distract the ref, and somehow, in distracting the ref, is allowed to put a chair over, like, a downed Raven's head, who's, like, making the cover. In one of the more upsetting things I've seen, Benoit hits a diving headbutt onto the chair... Onto Raven's skull, to which I just wrote, ah. So we talked about this after the match. I think we both would have been okay giving Chris Benoit MVP in this in this show. If not for. If not for, exactly. Because of what we know now, we cannot in good conscience. Dean pins Raven and gets the win. This was a really good match. It was. It was just hard to watch. Yeah, there was a bit of the lull in the, like, the third quarter, and the head trauma was a bit uncomfortable. In a vacuum, this is a great match. Absolutely, this is a great match. Um, I think we... I want to just move on from that. I feel unclean. <laughs> Do you need to take a break? No, we can just move on to uh, Scott Steiner versus Booker T in the finals of the U.S. title tournament. We have three matches left. I know. We are zoom in. We got a clip for this one as well. I, I do appreciate them trying to be like, here's the story for this match, which unfortunately does point out when there's no story yeah. for some of the matches. True. Like some of the beginning matches. Yeah. But it's a clip show of Flair setting up the tournament and then the tournament itself, which apparently was only eight men. I guess I forgot that they had fully stripped Scott Hall of, of his title. I think I just I just forgot that. Yeah, it, I don't think it helped that he basically won the belt and then disappeared. Yeah. So I guess I also forgot that he had the belt. Yeah, because he beat Roddy Piper. Oh, yeah. That seems like so long ago now. I think the last time we saw Scott Hall was that F Horseman Impression video. Oh, my God. Really? I think so. Wow. And he's out for injury now? Yes. I think it's a mix of injury and personal issues. Before we get into this match, we have to issue a mild correction. This is not as bad as the Ultimate Warrior one, where this is the last time we'll see him, and then he turned up the next week, and it was shit. <laughs> but we did it again. <laughs> well, a bit. I, I This one's a little bit more understandable. Uh, apparently, Chris Jericho wrestled Booker T on Thunder. This match was taped before Nitro, so technically what we saw was his last match on WCW television. The Thunder one was just recorded prior. Yes. It aired later, it was recorded prior. It, there wasn't really anything of note for that match either. Did you go back and watch it? I, I, I skim watched it, and it's just like, he. Not, there's not much difference in terms okay. of, it doesn't feel like a last appearance from him kind of thing. Okay. So, and we were not watching the Thunder, so. Right. 
I wasn't totally wrong. Only partially. And an interesting note, which won't come up tonight, but might come up in the future. During that match, Stevie Ray helped Booker T win. Yeah, and that's the first time we've kind of seen them team up in a long time. Because yeah. they're brothers. What's Stevie Ray doing these days? He's, wow, you really you really have just put that off. You, you, you really just kind of repressed that. He won the NWO Battle Royal. He's now leading the B team. I'm saying in 2021. Oh, here. sorry. <laughs> when I say these days. So, listen, I thought I thought you just really repressed that Battle Royal. Listen, I did. But I'm saying Booker T is, you know, commentary on, or he was commentary for a while. And he does like backstage stuff for WWE. What's Stevie doing? Yeah, I don't know. I, I do know he was recently inducted into the uh, Hall of Fame. Oh, was he? Oh, that's nice. As part of Harlem Heat. Nice. Which means Booker T is also in that weird group of two-time Hall of Famers. No, no, no. He got it. He was in on his own. Oh, okay. And then he also was in as part of... The tag team. Yeah. Okay. So we'll see if that gets picked up or not. Because I feel like they've been teasing stuff with the two of them for a while. Yeah, but with him now running the NWO. How could it be? The B team. They'll never call it the B team. So Steiner taunts the crowd for a bit and gets the Jake Roberts and Heroes of Wrestling treatment of just getting his tits felt up. However, the woman was very uh, eager to do it as opposed to Heroes of Wrestling. Oh, you're talking about the woman who was feeling up up Scott. I was like, who got their tits? What are you talking about? No, this woman was very excited to touch him and he was very excited to have her touch him. So it was all consensual and it was all great. Still strange. Steiner just kind of stalls for a while. So he like goes around the ring and he's kind of interacting with fans and it's really fun. Like, I hate Scott Steiner. We know this, but it was really fun to see him interact with fans. And he's just kind of being a heel. It's he's... also nice to see that someone actually is trying to be a heel and not yeah. like, I'm so fucking cool. No, he's he's like going up to fans and like trying to fight them. And this girl that's like touching him, he he's looking at her boyfriend and be like, she's touching me more than she's touching you, man. I'm like, it's fun. It's it's harmless. It's fun. I do like Steiner's gimmick of basically to him, he's a heel to the males and he's a face to the women. My body. His body is a face, but his attitude is a heel. Steiner also stalls a bit early in the match. And once they get going, I just noted, the more I see Booker T, the more I cannot wait for him to enter the world title scene. Yeah. He really just has it here. He's so good. And that's coming from someone that hates the Spinneroonie. Booker T is so good. He doesn't get enough credit. Steiner's strikes in this match look like they have some weight to them. They, like, they look powerful. They do, yeah. <laughs> On the outside, Steiner, like, lashes out at the fans who are, like, patting his back. He, like, you know, like, winds up to hit him kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Like, there's a lot of touching going on on the outside. He just wants to... He just wants to be touched. He doesn't have a lady in his life. He doesn't have anyone touching him. Got them freaks. You oh. don't want to... Sometimes you don't want a freak. Sometimes you just want a buddy. I don't know when he adopts the name Freakzilla, but it's soon, I think. Booker's on offense for most of the start of this, but gets dropped crotch first on the ropes and Steiner gets the advantage. Steiner uses a chair as a weapon. His commentary says he has to be careful not to get DQ'd. Yeah, what? (laughs) (sighs) I don't understand the DQ rules. Maybe we should just start going at this as like ECW matches. No, no, no. Maybe, maybe, maybe there are no rules, Nick. Maybe there are, maybe they're all drinking claws. Maybe they're all drinking White Claws. Yeah, here's the issue. Because as we know, there are no laws when you're drinking Claws. Here's the issue. Joey Styles isn't like, oh, he's going to get disqualified. <laughs> but we get a bicep kiss elbow drop, followed up by push-ups from Steiner, which leads to steroid chance. Steroids. Steiner silences them with a belly-to-belly suplex. 
we then get a low blow from Scott Steiner, but Mike Tenay writes it off as why it's not a DQ as intimidation of basically, if you DQ Scott Steiner, he is going to murder you. I don't like that. <laughs> I, I like it better than going, he's got to be careful here. Like, what? I think they need to play into that a little bit more then, I guess. Because they can't just be like, oh, that should have been DQ. Like, maybe be like, well, the I ref mean, is too afraid to DQ him. Yeah, I mean, they, they were kind of doing that before, and then... They just need to be consistent with it. Exactly. He's more the issue. Yes, consistency. These com- this commentary team does not have consistency. They never have, and it's frustrating as hell. We get a very weak bear hug from Steiner, which oh ends God. in a belly-to-belly suplex. I've talked about how much I hate the bear hug, right? I mm-hmm. fucking hate the bear hug. It's not a move. It's not. It's nothing. What does that do? Tell me what it did in 1980. Tell me what it does now. Why is this a move that people laud for these big... No one res- lauds it. Hulk Hogan does it and people freak out. Not like, really. Or he, they did when he was at, like when he was younger and starting. Like, No, Hogan would be in the bear hug and be a Hulk out of it. That's still not impressive. You're getting a hug. You're getting a relatively tight squeeze hug. It's not, it's not a wrestling move. This is not a move and I hate when they do it. Booker counters a suplex and hits a DDT. Snyder pulls the ref in the way of a Booker T kick, but Booker still manages to hit his signature offense and counts his own pin, but the ref is out. So it doesn't count. Booker helps the ref up, but Steiner strikes both of them. Booker manages to follow up with a spine buster. He goes up to the top rope, but Steiner crotches him on it. And Scott Steiner then breaks out the top rope Frankensteiner, which you were surprised to see. It was impressive, but it scared me. Yeah, he used to be able to do that, like, standing, but he has too much muscle mass now. Oh, his body is too big. Yeah. Steroids. Steiner uses the ref's arm to count, but Booker still manages to kick out. Would that have would that have worked? Would that have counted? I'm trying to think if anyone's said that, done that before. Because, like, it is still technically, it's technically the ref. Actually, it has happened before. Yeah. And it happened in an instance that, like, the ref definitely shouldn't have counted it. Because it was Vince McMahon as the special guest ref, and Stone Cold knocked him out and used Vince's arm to count three. Oh. Yeah. But it counted. It counted for the night. I forget it. They might have turned. They might have overturned it the next night. But hmm. Interesting. I did find it admirable that Steiner did a regular count, not a fast count, using the ref's well, arm. Well, yeah, he could have been a dick, but... Steiner breaks out what is kind of brass knuckles. They've used this previously in weeks, where it's just like tape... So it doesn't, what it looks like, and I thought about this while we were watching it, it looks like a big piece of sidewalk chalk. Like those cylindrical white chalk. The big thick one. Now, that's are what you, it looks are you like. saying that's what it, it, it is in kayfabe or are you saying that's what it that's is? That's what it looks like. I don't know what it is in kayfabe. I don't know what it is in real life, but it looks like a thick piece of sidewalk chalk. So you know, Honestly, to me, it just looks like tape. I, I didn't see lines or anything on it, so I couldn't tell that it was tape. But it definitely didn't look like brass knuckles. They blatantly don't show it because I don't think they even fucking know what it's supposed to be. Maybe. So he has that and Booker hits a suplex. But mid-suplex, Steiner uses, I'm just going to call them brass knuckles because they operate the same way. He hits Booker mid-suplex and gets the pin. I thought this was also a really good match, but a bit of a flat finish. I didn't love the yeah the weapon spot. Frankly, the top row Frankensteiner could have been the finish and I would have been happy. Although I guess you want to have Steiner cheat. And no, ma- you're maybe, right, maybe just more of a knowing what the fuck the weapon is would have helped too. But yeah, if there was some sort of setup for it or some kind of like clarity. Yeah, because I have no sense of how much this hurts. Right. You know, and there, every you every know other weapon, I can kind of imagine how much right. it hurts. I brought home a steel chair from a 
recent work day. Yeah, it was cool. It's a broken chair, and um, Emily loves it. So now we have a piece of broken table, and we have a broken chair. So we just are keeping garbage in our apartment, but I love it. And I don't know where to put it, but I love it. My dad said we should hang it on the wall. They was going to find a way to do it. We have our podcast room. Let's just, like, fill our podcast room with wrestling garbage. (laughs) New U.S. champion Scott Steiner. And I feel like we went a long way to kind of get to that. We knew it was going to happen. Like, going into this match, we knew that he was going to get it. I don't think we talked about how, since Booker already had a title, I feel like the odds of him winning were low. And the one title is now back in the NWO, so I feel mm-hmm. like not much Keep changed. It in the NWO, yeah. It doesn't help that we literally had this match last month on pay-per-view, too. True. It felt like very much status quo. After that, we got a WCW.com segment with Rey Mysterio, where we don't fucking hear anything. All we hear is the crowd booing Steiner, and that's it. I don't even think their mics were on. I, I Yeah. All three of them were so silent that I don't think anybody's mics were turned on. Yeah, I don't know why we cut to it. Yeah, it was stupid. That was the one bit of faff. There was no faff. That was it. You're right. That was the only faff. It's wild. Our eighth match of the night. Oof, are you tired? A little bit. <laughs> it's Kevin Nash with Lex Luger and Miss Elizabeth versus Goldberg. We had a video package showing each man's dominance, which I think I said is the, probably the same one from Nitro. Yeah, I mean, it could be. Both men come out, and once they're out, Nash grabs a mic to do his in-the-house bit. And I'm like, why? He literally just says one thing. Yeah, Wolfpack in the... Yeah. Really strike-heavy match to where I actually counted the the number of grapples. If you were playing uh, SmackDown versus Raw or WWE 2K. Oh, is that what you're counting in? Yeah, how many moves would you actually have to have pressed A for as opposed to X? (laughs) We get the dumb frame-up suck-it elbow from Nash in the corner. Liz distracts the ref so Nash can hit a very smooth low blow. I know you like that spot. It was smooth. I don't know. He didn't have to think about it. He knew exactly what he was doing. It didn't really ha- take a lot of like effort from it. I liked it. I thought it looked cool. I hate Kevin Nash for the fact that I'm complimenting him. It says a lot. After that, Nash hits a sidewalk slam in his first real move of the match. Shortly thereafter, we get a modified suplex from Goldberg in the second move of the match. Goldberg hits a big kick and signals for the spear, but Nash jumps and Goldberg spears the ref. With the ref down, Luger then hits a chair shot on Goldberg. Nash then drops the straps and gets him out. And to counter, Goldberg <laughs> squeezes Kevin Nash's balls. Which is such a power move. Like, there's there's a low blow and then there's the ball squeeze. One just has a little bit more oomph to it. I do love that Kevin Nash took his tits out, though. Luger then comes in, but Goldberg, like, politely fights him off. It was like, I, I was like, is Luger not, like, fully cleared? Like, it was a really weird offense I didn't, I didn't really, like, make much note of it. But, like, there, there was not much to note. Goldberg then spears Nash and hits the jackhammer. Third uh, kind of, you know, actual maneuver of, yes. the, of the match. And gets the win. So Goldberg did one more move than Kevin Nash. Yes. Kevin Nash did one move. Goldberg did two. I kind of liked this. It didn't go terribly long. No, it like, wasn't. I, it was. It wasn't a technical masterpiece by any stretch. No. But it was pretty standard. I mean, yeah. I like a shorter match, and this got what it needed to get done. Done. It was fine. Nothing special. Very standard. Not bad. I wouldn't skip it if I was watching pay per view. But no. I'm, I'm not like, looking to go see it again. What's great about it is if you are watching the pay per view, by the time that you think like, yeah, maybe we should skip it, it's over. And I love that. All right. It is now time for our main event. Woo! Match number nine. This this show, while not great, did not feel like a slog. No. 
We get champion Ric Flair versus Hulk Hogan versus DDP versus Sting for the World Heavyweight title with special ref Macho Man Randy Savage. No Michael Buffer. Yeah, and the guy that was in the ring, doing, do, do we know his name? Dave Penzer. Dave Penzer. He has a matching... Um, girdle and bow tie. There's a name for the girdle now. I can't remember. Cumberbund. Yeah. Matching Cumberbund and bow tie. And they're both like rainbow sort of like jigsaw pieces almost. Yeah. It was really cool. A little flashy, but I liked it. So you laughed when I said this, but Randy Savage comes out to what I'm pretty sure is a new theme. <laughs> it's not his whammy guitar pomp and circumstance. So he also comes out with his new valet, Gorgeous George. Why is her name George? I don't know. It, it, it's the name of a legendary old school wrestler. And I forget how they got the rights to the name, but I forget if it's her or Savage who owns the name. Yeah, you did mention that it might be Savage that got the rights. It, it, I mean, it's, it's, it's him or her. It's not WCW. Okay. But George. Why George? Maybe is she the daughter of Gorgeous George? No. no? Okay. I don't believe it's any relation. So, she's very pretty. She's wearing, yeah. she's wearing a very small hot pink dress. Very Barbie-like. So I was once again curious to see what the order of people coming out was going to be. We get Ric Flair out first. DDP out second to a face reaction because he was flip-flopping in the two weeks mm-hmm. we've seen him. Hogan out third, Sting out fourth. That's not a shock, though. I'm not into Sting's theme. I don't remember it, so maybe I'm not either. It it sounds very movie scory, which doesn't work as a wrestling theme. Yeah. All four men brawl to start this match as it's kind of similar to the one from Nitro. They have not quite worked out the kinks in a fatal four-way match yet. No. Sting goes for the Scorpion Deathlock early, but DDP gets to the ropes. And we largely ignore Hogan and Flair brawling on the outside to focus on Sting and DDP on the inside. I think most people are more interested in, uh, in Sting overall in this match. So I realized, we we mentioned before, I have not seen Sting wrestle since Halloween Havoc. And that was our first episode, wasn't it? Yeah. So this is my first time seeing Sting in 25 episodes. I think that's kind of cool. Yeah. It's been a long time. Yeah, and he because he only really like briefly appeared on the two nitros, so and briefly, briefly, like just a silhouette in the rafters on one. <laughs> would you like I, I wrote here? Would you believe this match is a bit of a mess? Sting gets the Scorpion Deathlock in on DDP, but breaks it to break up a pin after a Hogan leg drop. Flair works over Hogan's knee and locks in the figure four. DDP and Sting largely ignore this, but Hogan eventually reverses it, and then DDP breaks that up. DDP then does a ring post figure four on Hogan, but Sting breaks that up. And around this time, a trainer comes down, and apparently H- Hogan's knee is fucked, and he's carried to the back. Yeah, he like hobbles out, and then to make it more real, Eric Bischoff comes down, and yes. looking super gray, not Leather Daddy. Like He has evolved from Leather Daddy to um, Leather Bound Grandfather. Yeah. Because what he was wearing works. was not like daddy. It was it was like a long leather trench coat and very gray hair. He's a leather bound journal at this point. Yeah, I mean, well, he's also meant to have the look of not meant to be appearing on TV, which just means he stopped applying just for men. Like, <laughs> so Hogan w- will not come back to this match. You were ready for him to do it. Yeah, I really was. I thought he was going to come back at the end. So this is apparently a ploy by Hogan. A ploy. Yes. He is trying to be written off TV for a few weeks because he sees the ratings going down and he doesn't want to be blamed for them. Really? He also thinks his face turn isn't working, so he wants to kind of take a few weeks off and kind of reset. He's correct. 
But really, I didn't. I would not have given him enough like credit to be that perceptive. No, he's a sneaky motherfucker. Good for him. He. I will not compliment him. No, not good for him. Yeah, he he wants to come back in a couple weeks and be the be the rating savior. Oh, okay. You're telling me that Hulk Hogan has a god complex. So yeah, we're down to three men, and DDP just lets Sting and Flair fight as he watches from the corner. Sting hits a stinger splash and counters a diamond cutter from DDP. He then goes for a tombstone, but DDP counters it into one of his own. It's always weird seeing other people do the tombstone. I know. Sting gets Flair in the corner and hits a top rope superplex, but Flair kicks out. Flair gets a sleeper on Sting, so DDP gets one on Flair, but Sting breaks it all up with a jawbreaker. DDP and Flair work over Sting, but he suddenly he starts no-selling and starts his comeback. Sting locks in the Scorpion Deathlock on Flair, but DDP breaks it up. Sting then counters the suplex into a Scorpion Death Drop, which is a just a, like a reverse DDT kind of move. Flair gets in the figure four on Sting, and Sting gets the ropes, but instead of breaking up the move, Randy Savage instead pulls Flair into the middle of the ring. Flair doesn't break the figure four, and just allows himself to get elbow dropped by mm-hmm. Randy Savage. I'm like, oh, that's kind of a weird spot. Yeah, it was strange. That's not the finish, because awkwardly, a little bit later, DDP hits a diamond cutter on Ric Flair and gets the pin. Yeah, so like, what was the point of Macho Man like, interfering? He's screwing Flair. I, I guess. I Yeah, I, don't know. I felt it kind of unnecessary. but And there's not a big pop for it, which I felt bad for DDP, because this is his first yeah. world title win. Yeah, and commentary mentions that too. Like, I just feel like the audience overall was just not alive. They were really hot for the tag match, and I guess a bit of Goldberg, but yeah, they were... A bit, very little. They were pretty quiet. Yeah, I mean, they were saying that they don't come to Tacoma, Washington often, so maybe that's partially why. Maybe. On both fronts, but... This match was better than the one on Nitro. It was still a mess... It was it was a mess. It was again fine. It was probably like a B. It's funny people complain about triple threats and fatal four ways where it's basically just one on one matches while somebody like naps on the floor. Mm-hmm. I'll take that over the awkward two singles matches happening at the same time. And you have to decide which camera gets it. Yeah, it's like no, work, work a four way match. Don't work two singles. Right? Yeah. Like you said, they haven't quite figured out the logistics of how to do this, the nuance of it. But that was Spring Stampede 1999. I felt like we zoomed through that. A bit, but I think we're just moving a bit faster these days as is. We, we get it now. We're not really like sitting on stuff so long. Overall thoughts on the show? Meh. Really underwhelmed. Yeah. I, I The second, we did say it didn't drag and I think it was helped by a pretty good second half. A pretty good second half. Not great. Or, or really a good, like, if this is an Oreo cookie, that that that, that cream filling is is the greatness here. Okay, yeah. Because that, that Cause middle tier matches, yeah. But yeah, it was fine. It doesn't, the buy rate does not surprise me. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I probably liked this just as much or a little bit better as some, as some of the previous shows. I mean, we're, we're still, mm. still not all that removed from Super Brawl. I feel like I liked Uncensored better than this. Yeah. All right, with that, let's go to Best Bits and MVP. For those new to the show, because we haven't explained it really since episode one, the Best Bits are kind of all-encompassing. It doesn't have to be a match. It can be 
a segment, unfortunately, for the show. It really is only just matches, so there can't be a segment because not of us are giving it to the WCW.com interview with Ray. No. <laughs> but it's meant to not pigeonhole us on the Nitros and eventual Thunders. It can just it can be a segment or a right. promo. And it's an acronym. The yeah. BITS. B-I-T-S. Butts in the seats. Yeah. Yeah. We're creative. So Emily, what is your best bit? I gave it to the tag team match. I, I think I that was agree. by far the best match. Yeah. Did you give that as well? Yeah. I Even with all the uncomfortableness, I think it was still the best match. Well, that's why I'm not giving MVP. Like, I can give best match. I will not give MVP. Well, then who is your MVP, Emily? I gave it to Booker. <laughs> well, shit. We're on the same page really? here. Yep. <laughs> we did this in the last episode, too. Sometimes it's obvious. Yeah. I was considering giving it to Ray for powering through, but... I did think about that, too, but... And I was thinking at one point giving it to Kidman, but I feel like Kidman didn't pick up enough slack to... No, that's the problem. Like, yeah, like Ray kind of showed him up. Kidman is good against other guys that are really good. Like, he can hold his own against a really good guy. He cannot carry a match. Yeah. I love Billy Kidman, but he can't. Yeah, but Booker T, he definitely was impressive. Yeah, he continues to be great. Always. I love Booker. The only thing I think he still needs is promo consistency because we're not seeing him cut a ton of promos and even on nitro they don't really do a lot of promos but at least we know that good things will happen for him we're not you know left wondering oh true like we know what he's doing in 2021 well i'm saying like he comes into wwe being i'm a five-time wcw champion so oh he's got true. at least five reigns I don't coming remember up that so <laughs> spoilers did, did i not tell you that i blacked out during the invasion so on that note Let's uh, let's get on out of here. So you can follow us on Twitter at Butts in the Pod. You can follow us on Instagram at Butts in the Pod. And you can follow us on our newly created Facebook page. Because I guess we <laughs> should have 2010. that. Yeah, I guess we should have that. That's it for social media. In terms of where you can actually listen to us, it's Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And I will continue to look into trying to figure out which ones are the best for us and most kind of bang for your buck and aren't going to charge us tons of money. Yeah, because we don't really have a lot of that. No. Next up, which will probably be in about two weeks because I'm going on vacation. Will, yeah, we're not. He is. He's yeah. leaving me. <laughs> is the April 12th, 1999, Monday Nitro. It's going to be the, all the fallout from Spring Stampede, and we're going to be on the road to Slamboree. Come which, on and slam. That's just a weird name. And for... welcome to the Bree. <laughs> no, to, don't, don't promote Space Jam. That's, <laughs> I'm not promoting the, it. The new one's just a big commercial. You're a big commercial. So that's what we got coming up, and I don't think we have any bonus episodes until after Slamboree. So we're going to, once we're starting, we're going to try to plow right through and get as fast as we can to the next pay-per-view. Yeah. Emily, any uh, final closing thoughts? Mm, not particularly. You usually don't. I don't even. I don't really know why. I, <laughs> I don't know why you ask anymore. Because yeah, it really just makes the the ending kind of awkward. Because then I just have to cut. <laughs>